0: So, so you asked a question about waste. Um, okay, so we're starting just for audio verse. We're starting officially part number two on what's the title? Um, no, it's not advanced beekeeping. That's tomorrow. Um, you know, this starting starting beekeeping. So part four here. So you asked about the bees' waste products. The hive is one of the most clean things in all of nature. The bees will not defecate or create any waste product in their hive. They will leave the hive. They will fly out and they will go to the bathroom out here and then they'll come back. In the winter, sometimes that becomes a problem because if it's less than 50 degrees, they won't come out of the hive. They will just cluster up and just wait and the bees are capable of holding their waste for four, five weeks, six weeks. By the time they get into six weeks, the gut bacteria usually start doing too much and they will get oftentimes dysentery. So in the Pacific Northwest, there are times when we'll get 30 or 40 days of rain in one shot. And, and then cold. And, you know, the bees are getting pretty anxious, but they're not going to leave their hive, and they're not going to defecate in the hive. If they get dysentery, you'll start, and we see that under the disease thing here, it just basically, they'll get diarrhea, and they'll start just blurping it all over the hive, and, and the hive then now has bacteria everywhere, and oftentimes it dies. So what about snow? So, we'll get to that. We'll get to that question. So, so we talked about colony prep, the, the actual what's happening inside of that hive. Now we want to talk a little bit about the hive prep. We want to reduce the entrance. Okay, so we want to keep mice from coming and going. We also want that, that entrance reduced to keep other insects from coming and going and make it easy to guard. The other thing that we want to do to prepare the actual hive is on our inner cover. Take your inner cover and just take a little saw and cut out like a little one and a half or one inch, between one and two inches of of this wood right here and it creates a little slot. See what I'm saying? And then turn it that side down put it over like that and now when I put my outer cover on. I'm going to shift the outer cover as far forward as I can. So I have get this kind of porched over protected upper entrance to the hive that's right under there. They really like that in the winter because all of the heat that's being generated by the bees is all going up and it's keeping this entrance, this little tiny entrance up here, warm. So if they have to on a warm, well, on a cold winter day where it's snowy, if the sun comes out and it's kind of warm, even cold, they can come out, fly around, do their thing, and come back real quick. <laughs> um, but having that upper entrance is really a good thing. So some sort of upper entrance. Some of my beehives, I have that little, I have the inner cover. Um, some... Of my hives, I've got a hole drilled right like right in the, the side of the box, probably about three-quarters of the way up, maybe a, a one-inch hole, just drilled right into the box. I've got that on some of them. Pardon me? They don't plug it. No, they usually don't. The other thing that I've noticed is I had, a, I had some hives in a really windy area, and I don't know if it was wind or cows or whatever, but one of the hives got pushed back, like that, and so this whole front of the top of the, the bottom box, it was all open. And it's like the bees liked that entrance more than the bottom one. Oh. And so it's like, oh, that's interesting, okay. so And actually, where, there, where it was, it was actually the other way around. It was on the back. And what I had done was I had arranged that hive so that all the incoming weather would hit the back of the hive thinking, I'm going to protect this entrance and face this entrance north so they're not going to get blasted with the rain and the wind. And and it got shifted just a little tiny bit. And they just like almost completely abandoned that entrance and they used this one. It's like, OK, well, if you guys like it, I'm not going to argue with it. And. I think they liked it because this was the south side. This is the side that the sun shone on and warmed it up. And not only that, it was up higher and it was a warmer entrance to come and go from. So they would, they almost, all the time that those boxes get shipped, they almost prefer that upper entrance. So, you know, maybe shift the entrance or do the little hole thing or do the little cut in the inner cover. Either way you want to do it. Um. Having an upper entrance, reducing the main entrance down to small, just like this other entrance, you're going for small. Another thing that we're doing is if we do have a reduced entrance down below, we're putting some half-inch hardware mesh, wire mesh, stapled over that hole to keep the mice out. Because, I mean, even a hole this big, a mice could get through, right? So we want actual metal screen over that Half-inch screen. Don't go any smaller than that. Because what's going to happen is all through the winter... um, No, not yet. All through the winter, as bees die, they're going to be taking the dead bees out. And it's actually a good sign to see a few dead bees on the front porch. Because that means they're doing their job. They're working. And it's actually a good sign to see, because the bees are going to die anyway, um, just a few at a time. If you don't ever see anything coming out, well, then they're not doing their job. They're not cleaning. And a good, healthy hive will clean. And so every few days, come off and brush the the bees, and you can tell what's new. So it's actually a good sign to see that. Well, if you've got a small entrance and you have a really fine, you know, like a quarter-inch mesh, which a bee can get through, but they can't drag a body through it. So a, a half-inch mesh, they could get a body through, and every once in a while, periodically, on a nice day, open up that entrance and just kind of poke a stick through there. See if there's, like, is, is things are things getting clogged up. Make sure it's clear and open down below. Yeah. I don't know if I heard it already, but is there kind of a time frame that you like to have um, the eyes open? I know usually it's the quicker the better that you can get in, Okay, so the question is, when you get into a hive, how long, what's the maximum you can have it open? It depends on the weather. If it's 80 degrees, you know, a really warm summer day. Uh, as you begin, it might take you longer to go through the hive so that you, you go through all the frames and you're, you're there as that's your classroom. You're going to have that open for maybe a half hour. At my level of, of thinking or doing things, and I've got 40, 50 hives, I can't afford that much time on each hive. Um, and so my inspection is going to be, look at the, the flow coming and going, lift the lid, a lot of bees, lift this up, check for um, if there's no swarm cells, and it's, there's lots of bees in there, they're fine, they're good, I go on to the next hive. So you're trying to minimize the amount of time in the hive, because that really is a disruption to their flow Um, but you know i wouldn't want it to go like hours and hours so i was hoping to be able to put all my slides on a big screen because you could see them a lot better Uh, this was a a cedar tree a large cedar tree downtown castle rock Uh, My mom has a rental house right beside it. They cut it down, and it was hollow inside, and it used to have a honeybee nest in it. When they cut it down, there wasn't any bees living in it at the time, but there was still honey stores in the comb. So the neighboring bees from wherever in the area started flocking to it because it was like a free donut shop. And so it just just clouds of bees coming and going from that log or that stump. And I looked at that and it's like, oh, honeybees. I got to go see what they're doing. So I went over there and I'm looking down into that log and it's full of wax comb. And I'm looking at that thinking, hey, I want all that beeswax. (laughs) So I'm in there pulling out wax comb and they're in there pulling out honey. And it's like, they want the honey, I want the wax comb. They're just thinking about honey It's not their home, so they're not acting defensive at all. So I don't know if you can see it, but there's literally a cloud of bees just around me. And they're doing their thing, and I'm doing my thing, and and we're all happy. (laughs) Um, So we want to talk a little bit about what to look for. You've, You've prepped your colony. You've prepped your hive. The other thing, too, also, is oftentimes... It's good to wrap your your hive with um, um, tar paper. For me, in in the rainy, rainy weather that I have, I want to keep as much water from infiltrating into that hive as I can. It's not cold that kills honeybees. It's cold and wet. So if I get rain blowing in sideways into that hive, or let's say... um, just because of the, the difference in temperature from the inside to the outside. The bees are trying to keep it warm inside. And this lid is really cold. You'll get condensation off this lid dripping down onto the bees. And it's that cold, condensated water that's dripping on them that will make them sick. And, and that will start the disease cycle and kill them. So, And that's, the inner cover helps on insulating that and how I address that is a little bit different than this setup, and we'll cover that tomorrow in the, in the advanced class. But it's again, it's the wet that kills them, not the cold. Um, so, so if nothing else, just wrapping some tar paper around and stapling it on, on the sides so it can't go anywhere. Another thing that I will do is tar paper, what is it, like 36 inches wide? So I will put the extra out here in the front. And then I will get two like straight sticks about this long and poke the sticks under the tar paper so the tar paper actually sticks out here and kind of provides a little porch. And it also keeps a lot of the rainwater off my front porch there. And then that will primarily keep the, the water off. Sometimes... Uh, you'll see a lot of people wrapping the tar paper paper around the side like this. That's also a good way of doing things. Just make sure the tar paper doesn't cover up however you do the front entrance hole. Um, you might have to tear some of that tar paper out of your, your little notched hole here and then staple it on either side of that so the bees don't go down in between the tar paper and the hive rather than into the hive and then down. Um, so, so wrapping it up with tar paper To, to keep the, 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 water, the rain and the snow out Reducing the entrance size Putting the, the heavy half inch mesh in front To keep the mice out And so now you've got a heavy colony You've got lots of bees in there And it's all wrapped up And it's winterized Ready to go So what I'm looking for In those winter months This time of year is when it's frosty and cold out, kind of like it was this morning, a really nice, healthy hive, what I'm going to see is, you see the frost around the edge of this hive? And you see it's all just wet in the middle. You see on this hive, it's wet around the outside edge, and it's dry right in the center. That's because... The bees are in there. It's a healthy colony. It's giving off enough heat that there's enough heat coming out of this hole right here that it's actually drying the water on the outside of the lid. You see what I'm saying? This is a really good sign. This makes me happy and feel good, like sunshine. In the middle of the winter, when I'm walking past my beehives and I see stuff, it's like, they're doing good. That's an awesome sign. Happy little bees. Um, So that's a good sign to see. Another good sign is this. This is probably about three, four weeks ago. You can see my tar paper. I've got it over the hives. I have to tell you this, but but don't remember it until tomorrow when we talk about advanced beekeeping. I'm actually doing two hives on one base. Don't ask why. Just come tomorrow. So there are two hives side by side, they're only single deeps, and I put the tar paper over it, and you see what's happened over the course of just a couple of days. The snow right in the center of the hives is melting down and creating that little divot. That takes a lot of energy to do, and that tells me that hive is strong. They're going, they're in there, they're clustered all tight, and they're happy. Look at this. This is a double hive. <clears throat> Perfectly smooth on this side. You see it's dimpled on that side. Can you see that? Yeah, this side is dead. That oh. just right off tells me, okay, something's going wrong. Not, uh, not a, a divot or anything in there. So peek in there. Yeah, no bees. It's dead. And if you've got dead equipment, just... Take the tar paper off, take it out of there, take it inside because mice are going to find it and and make a bigger mess inside there. So if, if something dies out, bring it in, clean it up, clean the dead bees out. And that really brings us to this whole winter kill thing. Three basic things are killing the bees during the winter. Number one, disease. Number two, starvation. Number three, queenlessness. They all look a little bit different, and it's important to be able to know, by looking in the dead hive, what caused that problem. If you have no idea what caused the problem, then you can't ever fix it, right? You gotta know what's going on. So, yes? In the winter, can you hear them buzzing? You can. So, in the winter, you don't wanna like, get them all riled up. But if if you knock on that side, just put your ear up close. You'll hear them go, brrr. and that's you know it's like okay, just checking, stay, stay in. I no, you don't open them. So, so if you see some a telltale sign that something's wrong, and it's like peek in, ah, they're dead. Um, yeah, then then you just you want to move the equipment. But if you see these little signs like the the dry or the or the no frost or the snow dimples, you know, they're doing okay. Leave them alone. Uh, if they die from disease, oftentimes the, what you will see in the colony is that spotty brood pattern that you saw earlier today. And uh, the brood will be dead, obviously, as well as the, the, the bees. Sometimes all the bees will just be dead and just be a thick carpet at the bottom uh, on the actual base. And they'll just all be dead there. they just like rain down dead. And you'll see this real lousy brood pattern. Uh, Not necessarily in the winter on the chalk brood and the sack brood. Those are two different diseases. Chalk brood will often show up in the spring. And what will happen is The the larvae will get a fungus and it'll dry the larvae up and it'll look like a little white or black piece of chalk and usually you'll notice at first because the bees are going to take that dead mummy and kick it out of the hive and it'll look like these little white and black little mummies being kicked out of the hive this chalk brood usually they give give over it on their own as the weather improves and more and more nectar comes in it's nothing we can really treat for Sac brood is another disease, not necessarily in the winter, but usually in the main part of the year. And the, the larvae in the cell will just kind of... Bleh, and, and you can, like, pull it out, and it's just like this gooey little sac, dead larvae. The one that you do see reasonably often in the winter is what's called nosema. And it's the nosema bacteria in their gut that's causing the, uh, the dysentery. Or bee diarrhea, and and when that starts infecting them really badly, and they've been cooped up in their hive, and like I said, a bee can hold their insides for four or five weeks, but when you start getting into six weeks and longer of just you've had a cold spell, rainy, and they just can't get out to do a cleansing flight, they'll they'll start just you know having the diarrhea in their hive, and it'll just be this yellowy kind of gooey stringies all over and then you know then the bacteria just really explode and and it's it's not usual that they overcome that they'll usually just it'll be a mess and they'll die out so that is a wintertime thing that shows up now and then and you know there's no real treating it oh actually there is they will sell you something um and it's called fumadil You'll see it in the catalog, fumadil. Treat this in the fall and in the spring for your bees. The problem is, so there's two kinds of nosema. There's nosema apis, and there's nosema serrani. Nosema apis responds well to the fumadil that you mix up in your sugar water, and and it kills this. Nosema serranae, the fumadil doesn't kill it very well at all. The problem is 98% of all nosema in the United States is serranae. And so, don't use the fumadil, it's just... But, yeah, you're just, it's kind of pointless, but it's a big seller to people. They, they, and it's expensive, too, so um, you get that quirky little thing, and not many people know that. So, so that's kind of it for now. I don't want to go crazy on that. There's a lot of other disease issues, but we'll just stick with that. If your hive dies of starvation, yes? Kind of thing, or okay, is so how do you deal with, for audio verse, how do you deal with you can't help the weather? <laughs> Lord, please, <laughs> one good day. <laughs> you pray. Um You know, and sometimes he'll send you one good day where it's like 52 degrees and they can get out and fly around and do their thing and all come back in and and huddle. Uh, Usually, you know, and, and like I said, all of my bees are wild bees, which means they're survivor bees. They're not living where they're getting babied and coddled and treated all the time. So each generation is giving me a slightly stronger genetic when it comes to the, the survive, survivability of that. Um, yes? Does anyone ever like put the bees inside of a little house? So bees inside of a house. And allow them to fly, you
1: know?
0: Um, a, it doesn't work. doesn't work. No. Um, there, there are places like up in Alaska and up in the Alps where they will actually build a house, like a small shack, and build the hives into the walls with the entrance on the outside of the wall, and but still the bees aren't going to come out in the winter. Um, it's just a place where they can keep it just a tiny bit warmer than minus, you know, hundred degrees, which is too cold. Um, but um, they won't come out and defecate like between the hives. No, the no. If you know, if it's if it's freezing like 32 degrees, if they come out, and, and I've seen this, they come out of the hive and it's just into the snow and, and it's done. You know, they don't tolerate like zero degrees or 32 degrees. Do you, do you sell your bees? No. Okay, let, let, let's make sure we get this down here. Uh, I'm trying to get all I can. Uh, so Starvation. Two ways starvation happens. Either they run out of food in the hive. There's no food in the hive. They will starve. The other way starvation happens is it's just so cold. And in the cold weather, they will just cluster in, the, in a tight little ball in the center of this hive. And if it's too cold for too long, they will eat all the honey in, within that cluster and it will be so cold that they won't be able to, like, move the cluster over to, like, one frame over into a new honey store. So they will just stay there. And, and what you're getting into now is a very fine, delicate balance of the amount of bees per amount of hive. So if I've got plenty of stores in this hive and I don't have necessarily a really robust population of bees, the top box will tend to be better supplied than the bottom box. And as long as there's no brood in the bottom box, I will remove the bottom box and just take them through the winter like that. Because a smaller population of bees can keep one box warmer than two boxes full of food. You see what I'm saying? It's a delicate balance, too much space, and they can't keep it warm enough to actually be able to move around during the winter and, and get to the other shelves where there's food. They'll just eat all the honey out of this shelf, as it were, and, and it'd be too cold to move. So reducing the size of a hive on a smaller colony is, is better for their survivability you've got the big colony and more food they can keep that two box colony warmer and warm enough to be able to move around yes Mm -hmm. so so yeah they're pretty good uh one of the better ones out there is what's called alterby i think you can get it through man lake um i was gonna get a bunch of man lake catalogs so i'd have two for you to take home and just thumb through and dream Um, but uh, we call it pollen substitute because we don't want to take necessarily real pollen because real pollen comes from other bees right and we don't know the health condition of those other bees so we could be introducing disease into our hive by feeding our bees pollen that came from other bees or feeding our bees honey that came from other hives. We don't want to do that. So we're using a pollen sub, which is usually a a mixture of proteins, plant proteins. Uh, Okay, so what you're going to see in a a starve-out is, number one, either no food or a bunch of food, but the bees will all be in the cells like cars in a garage and all you'll see is a bunch of behinds sticking out of the cells in a big patch that's all you'll see it's just like boom back ends what they've done is they've just eaten their way to the back of the freezer and it's too cold to get out and they just die so that's the sign of starvation they're all just like heads in behinds out and you'll know it' starved out of, it's, it was starvation that, that killed them. If you have a lot of food, it was starvation because too cold, not enough bees to be able to move around. Uh, or they just ate all their food before springtime. The other uh, way you, you get the dead outs is at some point in time, the queen dies. They might have plenty of food, but just something goes wrong with the queen. The queen dies. And what's going to happen to the population is just going to, over the course of the winter, dwindle down, and what it'll look like when you finally figure it out and you go f- check it, it's going to be like a little pocket of bees dead. The bees that are, that, so there won't necessarily be even a big pile of bees at the bottom. They will, they will have flown out and died. But you'll have just this, this little pocket of bees and it's, it'll be dead. And you pick through it, and there won't be any queen usually either. That's kind of the giveaway right there, is the queen died in the population, just do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It got down to a minimum point where they just froze. And they're gone. Now, I don't know where you live, but in most areas of the country, sometime, have you noticed, late January maybe February, even into like the beginning of March, we'll get this unseasonably warm spell and all your garden chromosomes turn on. And it's like, oh boy, plant tomatoes. Um, You know, it's just, it gets really warm for like maybe a week or 10 days, right in the middle of winter. You wanna pounce on that and run out and check your hives. Now we're not gonna go crazy checking our hives. We're going to check the weight. How are their weight doing? Are they holding up throughout the winter? This is going to be approximately halfway through the winter, so they still should have about half their stores left. If your hive is really light, it's like, whoa, they're, they're eating more than they have. And by the time spring finally officially comes and stuff starts blooming, like the dandelions, that's usually the very first thing, the, the most common time that they're going to starve, starve out is late spring. They've gone through the whole winter. They've done fine. Now they're just right at almost spring. Nothing's quite blooming. Maybe a few um, dandelions, but that's not enough. And that's oftentimes when they'll eat the last bit of food and they'll starve out just like right on the starting line of life. And so you want to really keep track of that. It's like, how are you doing? How's the weight? You're holding it. If the colony feels too light, we want to feed them. But we don't want to introduce a bunch of moisture into the hive. So we don't want to feed them light or heavy sugar because it's got too much water that they're going to have to kind of dry down so that it becomes edible for them. So, what we can do is we can take a cookie sheet, fill it with sugar, and pat it down so the sugar is like the thickness of the cookie sheet, right? And then just spray some water over top of it and pack it down, spray, spray, spray. So, it's just got enough water that you can pack it down like wet sand. And then stick it in the oven at just barely warm and dry it out overnight. So, it's basically what you're making is dry sugar cubes, you know, like the the sugar cubes. You're creating that. Cut it and, and break off like big portions of it and just set it right on top the frames. And the bees, producing the moisture from their respiration, that moisture will condensate on that sugar and will wet it a little bit, and then they'll go up and be able to just lick off, just, you know, lick the candy, and that will give them some feed. Um, you can also throw in a little bit of pollen, too. That doesn't hurt either. Um, But having said that, another thing you can do if you've got a good, strong population and the conditions are right so you're not worried so much about too much moisture is you can start feeding them early spring the one-to-one sugar and start putting pollen in there and you can wake them up a little bit before spring and make them think, spring's here. And you're not going to tell them it's not here. Uh, but they will start waking up because food's coming in. They've got pollen. The queen's going to get busy. and The population is really going to go, but you're going to have to watch it for swarming. But that's, you know, if you can get them started a little bit early, you're going to have a big population, and it's a big population. They, okay, think about the timing of this. Field bees are the bees that go get the honey, right? Those are the older bees. Those are the bees that are about four to eight weeks old, getting the last half of their life. So when is your big honey flow? Well, for us, it's in first part of June. So I want some old bees first part of June. So I'm gonna go back first part of May, first part of April. So whatever the queen is doing, you see how I'm thinking this through? Whatever's happening in the hive, the first part of April is setting up for my honey crop two months down the road. See what I'm saying? So so I'm wanting to pay attention to my hive last part of March, early part of April, and I'm going to set this up so that the queen has as much area to just go as crazy as she can go, laying eggs because I want lots and lots of brood, last part of March, early part of April, because that's the critical time to have the big population when the big honey flow kicks in. So timing is part of this whole thing as well. Um, Okay. The other thing, because now we're back late winter, talked about where they are um, checking up the other thing that you're going to look on that late weather, late winter, just little good window of, of, of weather, is you're going to peek in the hive and see where are the bees. Is the top box still solid honey, and they've only eaten their way up like halfway through? Is the cluster right here, or is the cluster right up here? You kind of want to get an idea. Is, have they eaten very little? Are they still down in the bottom? So you want to kind of know the condition of that whole hive. They still got plenty of food. Great. Um, they got plenty of food, but they're up here. Okay. I want to know where they are and what they're doing, because that helps me gauge my future decisions. You know, another month when I can get it, later when I can get into them. So, so I didn't, do. I need to feed them. I'm going to do the the, the sugar candy thing on top of the frames. Um, in the middle of winter. So that's just usually, you don't want to, like I said, get into the hive and and pull frames apart, but you want to be able to peek in it and just kind of get a good feel for what's happening in there in the winter. What was the temperature for being able to access bees? So the, the bees don't become active outside of their hive unless it's 50 degrees or more. That's kind of the breaking point. So you know, get a bunch of really crummy winter weather, but if the you know if the weather come if the temperature comes up to 55 degrees, they'll be out. You'll see them. It, they won't, might not be going crazy, um, but you'll see one or two coming out and they'll fly around, and come back in. Uh, the other thing. So now we're back in the winter. So the other winter thing is back to your your work cleaning up. New hives that you're going to start this next spring. Um, cleaning up old material, getting uh, any th- repairs done, and you know, you're not going to have a lot of this as a beginner beekeeper. But, but you are going to be kind of addressing, what do I want to accomplish this next spring? Uh, how... So your honey supers, they're not on the hive. You're storing those. You've extracted the honey out of them. There is another pest that I didn't mention under pests and that is what are called wax moths they look like a giant pantry moth they're about this big and they will get in lay their uh, larvae into the in the wax and they will just eat up the wax and just make a big webby dirty mess out of the out of the wax and pretty much destroy it and so you'll have to Put new foundation in, and that's where the. For those of you who aren't here at the beginning, that's where plastic foundation really shines. Is they can't eat this up. They can eat up the comb that's on top of this, but you can scrape that off, put a new coating of wax on, and the bees can rebuild that. But if it's the. But if it's the. Uh, just regular beeswax foundation, which I don't have here. You, you just have to replace the whole thing, you know. And if you can salvage some pieces of comb that aren't just eaten up, and put those aside, you can melt that down, and save, you know, at least some of the the beeswax and use it for candles or whatever you want to use beeswax for. Um, you know, you can save a little bit of it. But um, so there's a couple ways of doing this thing. Mm. And I deal with that <coughs> tomorrow. Uh, how to deal with wax moths. Uh, in uh, The short answer is uh, store your equipment. And if you see any sign of wax moth, put the box in the freezer overnight. And it can freeze the wax moths out. Uh, the picture that I've got for tomorrow is on on really cold weather and i know you know because i'm watching the the weather report if we're getting some really cold weather like below zero for several nights i will take all of my boxes and put them outside spaced out in, in big stacks and just let them freeze for several days and that has really helped me uh keep the the wax moth population way down it's a lot of work at this level of the game <laughs> Uh, but it's it's worth it because you know there's no there's not a lot of options. The the one option that you'll see in the literature is you uh, using uh, para also known as mothballs. Uh, but chemistry, if we want to talk about para oh, never mind, um, <laughs> it's a benzene ring with cl- uh, ch- chlorines on it chlorine is extremely hard on biological processes and benzene rings organic chemistry here is that's carcinogenic stuff and I just I haven't been able to bring myself to use mothballs on my hives so I just don't use it they you know what they'll tell you is put it on the the empty stored hives but air it out for several weeks before you put it back in the hive and it's like nah it's I You know, I took organic chemistry. I know what that kind of stuff is like, and so I just don't like the idea of using mothballs on my empty equipment, so I'll do the freezing thing. So, yeah, what time do we have? We have a few minutes. Let me see if I can get this to play. I'm not sure if I can. Oh, here it is. So this is er, um, fairly early spring. This is probably late March. Watch the pollen going into this hive. This is, I mean, that's just unreal amounts of pollen going into this hive. This is just kind of fun to watch. Um, My guess is probably dandelion pollen. Uh, I mean they're just like hauling in suitcases right of pollen look at all that and there, uh, when I see that kind of thing that tells me they're doing really good at raising brood because it's the pollen that's the protein source for the brood so you know you think about what, e- what even we eat proteins carbohydrates You and I as adults, we burn a lot of carbohydrates in our activity, right? We as adults don't need as much protein as a young person that's developing and putting on growth and tissue. It's the young people that we need to be giving more protein to. And so the bees, when you see a lot of of pollen going into the hive like this... um, You know they're doing a lot of brood rearing and that's like, oh right, that's really good to see. Uh, And if you watch carefully, every once in a while, let's see if I can do this. Oh, there it is. Uh, So let's try to find a, a guard bee. So, you, it'll be a bee that comes out, and he, he's just like trying to greet everybody. everybody. Oh, there he goes. Yeah. Oh, and that one flew away. There are a few bees. This one right here, and some there that are just standing at the entrance, and they're fanning their wings. What they're doing is they're ventilating the hive. That also tell. That's also a good sign. In that it's telling you uh, they're they're turning the AC on a little bit, (laughs) which means there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of stuff going on inside that hive. So that's, and actually, you know, in an early spring day, that's a good sign to see those guys. It's like we're ripped up and ready to go. Uh, That one? Well, let's just watch it. He's not trying to really. Greet anybody. At one point in the video we do kind of see a, a a a guard bee. I think they tend to be working inside a little bit more on this case, this case just because there's so many bees coming in. Sure. <laughs> clock in, clock in. Yeah. What are these little bugs running around? So there's a couple of flies that are just flying around. The flies aren't looking for the bee stuff. They're, it's just a warm place because the sun is shining. Just a warm place to sit and be warm. Will fruit flies bother the honey? Or- no. The, there, is a, there is a pest, and I, don't, I didn't bring it up just because I don't have to deal with it, but it's called a small hive beetle. That is a problem in the lower and eastern part of the country. Um, you guys have hive beetles. The beetles will get in and get in the honey. They'll defecate in the honey, and it'll cause it to ferment and foam, and and just make a lab a big mess inside the uh, uh, inside the hive. So, where am I? Oh, I'm there. How much time we have? We have till five, right? Yes. There's a drone. That's a mayor B. Um, but we're looking for something here. Where is where is it? Oh, oh, oh. Is there a queen over there right? Oh yeah, that's a Oh, that's a queen right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a queen. Okay. You can't hear it because they don't have any volume. But this is something that very few people actually get to see. This is a virgin queen. She just hatched out. She hasn't made it. And if what you see her doing, she's running around, and then she'll stop. And which, if you watch carefully, she pulls herself down to the comb and then she buzzes her wings. She makes this little sound going. Bzz, bzz, bzz. That's, that's kind of a, a challenge bugle to any other uh, virgin queens in that hive. You see, she stopped, she vibrated her wings, and then she goes somewhere else. And she'll go through the hive, and you know, pretty soon if there's another queen in that hive, she will start piping, and then they'll both start piping, and it's like, until they find each other, and then the battle's on, and it's like, uh, it's a fight to the death. So... Uh, that's that's what's happening there. Really fascinating to see. It's hard to actually be. <coughs> can you hear it? If you listen really carefully, you can hear this. I guess you can't hear it anymore. Uh, but uh, the first time I saw that, it's like wow, that is so cool. What's happening? Uh, Let me throw this over here. I have a few minutes. uh, Sometimes they will. It'll be what's called a secondary swarm. You have a primary swarm where the, the mated original queen leaves. And if you have like a lot of of, uh, swarm cells, you'll get a couple queens and sometimes they will cast off another swarm. It'll often be quite small and oftentimes it's a virgin queen. And sometimes you'll get two queens going in one swarm. I had that happen last year. I saw the queen and it was a very dark, almost kind of Carnolian queen. And it's like, oh, I saw her, I saw her. And then I'm waiting and i've got this little queen catcher and i'm waiting to find her again and i spot her again but wait a minute she's light cream color it's like wait a minute that was a different queen i've got two queens in this thing so i put them in the hive and then in the hive i found them both they were on different frames so quickly i put one and i split that i split that swarm so i kept both queens and it it took all summer to build them up but See, this is uh, a swarm on a fence post. Mm -hmm. So I put my my nuke box just as close as I can to it, and a lot of times they will smell it. If you put a little bit of lemongrass in there, they'll smell it and just move right in. It'll just be this march in. Sometimes you have to kind of get them started in a situation like this, and very carefully just, just wiggle your fingers into that ball. It's okay. After a few years, you'll get the guts to do it. Just very carefully, just work your fingers into that ball of bees and then just pull a big chunk of them out and it'll be warm and it'll be like little pinprickles on your fingers because their little feet, they have like little hooky things on their toes. Usually, no. (laughs) The only time they will sting you is... See, there's a bunch of wires through that ball. And it's like they weren't just going in. So I kind of had to like, come on, go. And so I scoop a few in, get a big handful, and then just shake them in. And they'll start heading back to the ball. But eventually, you're going to get the queen. Shake a few in. And once she's in, then they all go in. So I think around the backside, I was trying to scoop some around the backside. And I, I pinched one. That's when they'll sting. They won't you know they won't want to sting you but if you get them pinched and they start thinking you're going to hurt them then they will sting you if they swarm can you just take the swarm and put it back in your hive? no because you can't put the swarm back into the hive because if there's open brood the queen will will know "Ah, you tricked me Uh, we didn't swarm we're going to swarm And so they will just leave again. You've got to put her in a hive that it can have capped brood, but it can't have open larvae because she's going to just, no, we didn't, we didn't do it. So empty, empty combs and maybe some honey. And that's another thing. Capturing a swarm, you want to feed, make sure they got plenty of feed. Don't just rely on, The fact that almost all of those bees are tanked up with honey so they've got stores for several days just you know inside of them but don't rely on that give them a frame of honey or or a bucket of feed so give them some pollen give them some feed and just let them feel like we're good and we've got plenty of food and then they can take off build their wax uh foundation out into comb and the the queen will lay and go crazy and that's what we want to see Is the honey from sugar the same as the honey from something else? No, so so the bees will take sugar water and essentially make honey out of it. Of course, it's going to be like completely water white. And and we're not going to be feeding them when we have honey supers on. So we don't get that fake honey sort of thing going on. So if I'm feeding them, it's because they don't have surplus sugar on. Does that hurt the bees to only get sugar water
1: to be fed? It's, it's not
0: as good as a profile of as far as nutrition goes, mm-hmm. but it's better than dead. <laughs> it, you know, and I had, to, I had to reason through this because, you know, we're mostly in the mindset of let's be as natural as possible. Yeah. And, and, you know, we wouldn't eat table sugar, so why would we feed uh, table sugar to our bees? Well, bees eat sugar. And table sugar is 50% glucose, 50% fructose. Honey tends to be closer to... Well, it depends. But it tends to be 60% glucose, 40% fructose. But it depends. The, the, the honeys that sugar up really quickly do so because they've got a higher percentage of glucose, it's the glucose that's sugaring up, not necessarily the fructose. Honey that just stays honey for a long time comes from flowers that has a higher percentage of fructose versus glucose. Um, White clover, most of the clover honeys tend to be real high in the glucose part of the sugar. And that's why clover clover honeys tend to sugar up very quickly often within just a few months. Yes? Now, what, um, we have some friends from Manitoba, mm-hmm. and they had these, and I think it was made the and the honey was from um, um, canola. Canola. Yeah. And, um, OK, canola honey. There, there Uh, yes canola honey has a lot of glucose on it and it sugars up really fast um, there's a beekeeper in Canada that I follow on YouTube and he he plants you know hundreds of acres of canola and he's got his bees right beside it and you'll see some pictures tomorrow about that um, but he's got a get it off the, the the hives and get it extracted before it sugars up because then it won't extract. So every kind of flower produces a different kind of honey. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's kind of neat. Because you can start collecting, you start getting to know your crops and your flavors and your smells, and you can start extracting these out separately. So you get, you know, different crops of honeys. I've got I've got a shelf above our kitchen sink that's probably six and a half feet and then shelves down and it's all different kinds of honey from all around the world. Um, it's, it's fun. And of course, every one we've tried. So, you know, lots of honeys from Hawaii and um, Madagascar and Thailand and Hawaii. I said that already. France and France and wherever else. Um, it's just fun to do. So you know, you get friends and family going somewhere for vacation. Don't come back unless you bring me a jar of honey. (laughs) So um, it's it's just fun to do, you know, because it's all different, all different. Um, And you know, so that and then that you know, in the last, what do we got? We got like two minutes. Um, Different kinds of honey goes with different kinds of foods. See what I'm saying? You can become a beekeeper. You become a connoisseur of fine honey. So um, have you ever put honey on your banana? Oh, it's really good. But certain kinds of honey goes better than other kinds. Um, Some kinds of honey does better in cooking when you're making whatever it is. Others, it just has such a fine flavor. It's just good to have plain or on toast or something where you can just get the full body of that, that flavor. So you start figuring out what goes good with others, and then you start hoarding special kinds of honey <laughs> and using only for holidays. And It's just an exciting thing to do. Do you ever cream your honey? So creaming honey, that's another thing that uh, you can do. You've got extracted honey. You've got creamed honey. Um, mm. Some people what's, may what's not know it? what a creamed honey so, is. Okay, so we've got like one minute of time. Creamed honey is simply sugared honey, except normally sugared honey, the granules are fairly coarse, right? And it tastes good. Creamed honey is granulated sugar, but the, but the crystals are microscopic. And really good creamed honey is just as smooth and silky as butter. You can't feel the grittiness in it. Put it on your tongue. You can't feel grittiness on really good creamed honey. Because Okay, and this is, well, there's a a lot of it's trade secret, but how we can do it is start off with a pound of creamed honey, good creamed honey. That becomes seed or starter for a batch of creamed honey. So what you do is take, uh, what is it, 10% creamed honey starter. So you take a a pound of honey, put it in a (laughs) 10-pound container, Of your honey and then carefully mix it without getting air in it just mix it all up and then put it in a cool area roughly 54 55 degrees and over the course of several weeks the whole thing will crystal in those microscopic fine crystals and it'll become what we call creamed or the other name for it is whipped honey you know our honey creams by itself we don't uh-huh. Sometimes it just gets like that in a jar. Yeah. It, so, well, it's just the particular kind of honey that it is. Um, but but it does it have any grittiness? I mean, like... A little bit. A little bit. So, really good creamed, high-quality creamed honey won't have that grittiness in it. Mm-hmm. So, so, there's just different ways it of messing around. And creamed honey tastes... Uniquely different than the exact same kind of honey in liquid form. It's it's spreadable. It stays. It doesn't drip, and it's just really yummy. Do you put like a drop of orange? Yeah. You can you can flavor creamed honeys. There are kits that you can do that too, and that makes it also real good. But then it's then you've like cheated. You've adulterated it. (laughs) So So, so it's against the law. Nice. Yeah. Look it up on YouTube. There's a bunch of videos on creaming honey. So what's your most prized honey, the
1: tasting-wise?
0: Uh, for me, there's two of them. Okay. Our early season Pacific Northwest, it smells like a flower bouquet, mm-hmm. and it tastes like Fruity Punch. Mm-hmm. That's just really good. The other one, this is absolutely insanely crazy, but it comes from down by Salem, Oregon, and it comes from the Meadow Foam plant, and it tastes like marshmallows just like just marshmallow honey that's what it is and it is so good but you know all of you have different tastes meadow foam look it up and buy some meadow foam some of you like I mean I tend to like light colored mild honeys other people like real strong bold honeys real strong bold is buckwheat it looks and tastes a lot like molasses just strong and it's like uh it's like the choleric personality of honeys um but see that's where it's fun is you can have some of everything and uh uh, orange honey is just like candy it's just so good so you gotta have some of that too right so anyway i i think our time is up any more uh, questions So we'll have one more class tomorrow on more advanced topics. Uh, If you want to take a picture of some of these video uh, links, you can do that and thank you for coming. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,